Today's Old Testament reading is taken from Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7, and 7, verses 14. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is taken from Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had sent to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. 
Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you for making the effort to come this morning. Deeply, <clears throat> excuse me, appreciate that. And um, just to make a note that on Christmas Eve, God willing, we'll be here as well as next Sunday morning. Um, I've so enjoyed this morning's service. Your worship in prayer, your worship in reading, your worship with the children, your worship in song. I think all fitting to praise God, and we're very thankful that we're able to be here and worship Him as we approach this week, Christmas. Now, these last week and this week, I want us to be considering together these verses from the prophet Isaiah, where he prophesies the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we mentioned to you that. There are two promises that God gives. One is that there is light coming. And this light, it says here, will shine into darkness. Remember last week we talked about how that light of God comes into our heart, into our minds, and into us as individuals. And what we were before is no longer who we become in Christ. Because God in His presence is living within us. And it changes us from the inside out. And we become people who follow God. So the first thing, he promised light. And that light did not end as Jesus came, but rather it continues on to today and will continue into the future. Now, light. And then the second thing was Unto us a child is born, a son is given. That unto us a gift. And the main thing about Christmas and giving is not simply the presents that we tend to give to one another, but it's the true fact that God has given to us, each one of us, Jesus as he came at Christmas. Now, those two things are key. And last week we ended by asking each of us, has the light of God come into our own heart, soul, and person? Do we know and have we experienced light of him coming on and giving us then hope, giving us reason for what we do? Have we experienced and simply received the gift of God? You see, a gift, no matter how wonderful it is, if it is only offered but never received, we do not have that personal relationship with God. He comes and he gives us, through Jesus Christ, this gift. Now today I'd like us to think about the second part of this verse 6, where in it, God says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It is as if God here is introducing himself. And actually, that's what I want us to think about Christmas. Christmas is a moment that has come in history and we celebrate today, but it is a moment when God is introducing himself to us. And in this moment, through the prophet Isaiah, he is using four names to introduce himself. 
So we get to know him by these names. You know, throughout the Bible, the names of God are incredibly important. Last week I mentioned to you that the second book of Moses, or the book of Exodus in English, the second book of the Old Testament, in the Hebrew does not have that name Exodus. That was applied to it later in other languages, but in the original it is literally the book of names. Because God introduces himself again and again by different names. Like in chapter 3, as Moses is walking and he sees a burning bush that never, never extinguishes, it just continues to burn, and he turns and he walks and he stands, and God speaks to him from the bush. Remember that story? And then God says, I have called you, Moses, and I'm sending you to the children of Israel, and I want you to bring them back and bring them into the place I have promised them. And then Moses says, well, if they ask me, who is sending me? What is the name of God? I tell them. You see, they want to know the name. And so there he comes with the I am who I am. I am the God that is a personal God. I am the God who keeps a covenant, who keeps his promises. And then he said, and tell the children of Israel, if they say, who is he? What is his name? You tell them, I am has sent you, but then you say, I am the God of their father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And to help them understand, oh, that's what God is like. I remember Abraham. He is my great, great, great forefather. I remember how God worked in his life. Oh, I remember Isaac. Yes, that's how God met Isaac. Oh, Jacob who ran away and then met with God. I know how God is because of the name. And then God concludes by saying, tell them I have come and I've seen what is going on in their lives. This idea of a personal God. But it's even greater, isn't it? (laughs) You know, it kind of reminds me, I mean, all of you probably speak so much better German than I do. My wife and I lived for some years in Austria, and I learned some things. But one of the beautiful things about German is you always know on the relation what type of relationship you have with someone, don't you? All of us who are foreigners, at first you learn "Guten Tag, Gnädige Frau Sie," oder? And then it isn't until later in life when I used to say "Guten Tag, Herr Schuler." When it came a day when he said, Hey, do. Ich heiße Fritz. And suddenly there was a different level of relationship. And when God comes to us and he uses names to introduce himself, it is because he wants us to get to know him. He wants us to understand what he's like who he is, and how we can know him personally. And so too, even in the New Testament reading we read this morning from the book of Matthew, it points out, and it says, and you will call his name Jesus. For he will save his people. Matthew, as he writes, he 
defines or gives us the meaning of the name Jesus. It means salvation or the one who rescues, the one who saves. And then he goes on and he quotes right out of the book of Isaiah, which we read also this morning. And a virgin will give birth to a son. And he will give that to us. He says, and look, that will be be called his name, Emmanuel. And then the Bible defines Emmanuel. God with us. You see how again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the name that God introduces himself by is incredibly important. Important because God desires you to know him in that way. And here he uses four names. First he says, Wonderful Counselor. And we think, well, how does God, how do I know God as a counselor? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31, 32, 33, 34, it says there that God says, in the coming days, I will make a new covenant with my people. It's not going to be like the covenant I made before, but this one, listen to what he says, this one I will put in their minds, I will write it upon their heart, And I will be their God, and they will be my people, and no one will need to say, know the Lord, for all will know me. And then that beautiful closing line, and I will remember their sins no more. Remember what he said? I will put it in our minds. I will write it on our hearts. You see, the counsel of God will take place here in what we think how we understand. And it will take take place here in our hearts as we hear the voice of God and we make choices and decisions. Now some of you say, well, but in our world, our heart is where the seat of the emotions are, isn't it? I love you with all of my heart, we would say. That's true, we do. But when these scriptures were written, that was not what the heart was considered. There's a beautiful old English verse which I often encourage people to use. It says, and I have loved you with all my bowels. (laughs) Couldn't you imagine some teenage guy just when he's fallen madly in love with this young beautiful woman says, and I have loved you with all of my bowels. We think, no, 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 no. But actually the Hebrews... And the Greeks had it right. Because they had observed that here is the center of our emotion. When someone passes, a deep friend, where do you hurt? Not here. Here. It really is the seat of emotion. So if that's the seat of emotion, what is the heart? When the Bible days, what they are writing there is that is the place where we make decisions. Where we know what is right and what is wrong. And it's the expression of who we are. And so God is writing. He's putting it in our minds the way we think. And he begins to counsel us. And he's putting it, writing it on our heart that why we make a decision. What is important and the purpose and things by which we do that. It's there. And then as Jesus came in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, 
He begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs, theirs is the kingdom of God. In other words, all of a sudden he is moving us from what we understand is what is important and what has value. He's writing on the heart. He's putting into the mind. And he's showing us the values of God. What God considers important. He's a counselor, you see. You get into further on into it, into chapter 6, and you say, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. In my earlier Christian years, I had memorized that verse backwards. Because I thought certainly he was saying, is where your heart is, your treasure will follow. No, 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 no. God says, no, the heart he has created within, kind, within mankind, that it can only follow one thing. He said, you cannot serve God and something else. Our heart has a limited capacity, and where it goes is where our treasure is. Or in chapter 6, he begins to say, and you've heard, it says you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you just say to you, brother, you fool you. It's the same thing. Suddenly the Son of God has moved what we understand from what is right and wrong, from being an, a minimal thing that we, we can come up to a close line and as long as we don't cross that line, we are okay to something that takes place deep in our heart. The values and things we have. And of course, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, Therefore seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, Jesus teaches us as a counselor in this whole different level. And he goes on, there are just many things. Well, how does that change? Well, God has come. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or pitched his tent, he came to stay that we could understand God better. So first and foremost, God introduces himself at Christmas as a counselor. Let me ask you this. In your mind, in your heart, have you heard the counsel of God? That's what he's wanting to do. He introduces himself as that and then secondly, he's not only a counselor, but he goes on and further and he says, he is the almighty God. Think about that. When Jesus came on Palm Sunday, which we will celebrate in a few months, and he comes into Jerusalem riding on the donkey, and the people are shouting, Hosanna, 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 meaning literally, God, help us. And the religious people say, tell your people to stop. It says, if they stop, the very stones would cry out. Creation would honor him as God. Or in chapter, in John chapter 10, Jesus says to, his, to the people questioning him, says, my father and I are one. And then the Pharisee says, oh, we need to stone you. And he says, what are you stoning me for? Because of something good I have done? Because I've healed this person? Or I've done this miracle? And they said, no, we are going to stone you because you, being a person, declare yourself as God. Because he was and is 
and he's come. That we might get to know him. And why is it important? Because I don't know about you, but I find that life at best sometimes is messy. And we need a God who is in control. We need a God who we understand and who knows everything about us. And he moves in that direction. And sometimes, like for example, when David the king was going to build God a temple. It's recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And it says he gathers these things and he comes and he tells I, the prophet I'm going to build this for God and all of a sudden the prophet comes with a word back for him from God saying you won't build it your son will but then look at what he says but I will build for you a throne a person from your lineage is going to sit on an eternal never ending throne great promise of God but then David as he hears that he goes in and it says he sits in the the, uh, the temple or the tabernacle at that point right up to the where the curtain the veil was between the place where they believed that God's presence was he got as close to that as he could it says and he sat there and he began to think oh God you have thought about me you have planned for me you have a purpose for me and there are those moments in life when we you and me like David all of a sudden, because of something God does, we realize that God has planned, God has purpose, and the things of God are beginning to work in our heart and life and soul. He's almighty, you see. He plans for us. So he's our counselor. He's the almighty God. But then thirdly, he says that he is the everlasting Father. And you know, when God's introducing himself, the further we go into 2021 and on into 2022, I believe this name as God introduces himself at Christmas as the everlasting father may be the most difficult one for us to accept in our society. Many have had a very difficult experience with their own natural human person called father. Some have had a wonderful experience, and if you have, you are absolutely blessed. But think about this idea of him being our father and that all those things which he is able to do for us in that. You know, how do we become his father? Or how does he relate to us as father? It's because through faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into his family. As Jesus said, just that as he was after his resurrection and as he was going back to the father and remember the account where Mary comes into looking at the tomb and she does see that the tomb is empty and then actually the Lord comes and she mistakes him for a gardener or someone and says where have you laid him if you tell me where the, his body is I will come and I will do what is proper and then he speaks and says Mary and she hears the voice as he identifies her by name. She says, Master, Lord. And then he says this to her. No, do not grasp hold of me now. I'm ascending to, the, to my God and your God. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. The intent of God, the purpose and desire in the heart of God is to be our Father. I think one of the most helpful 
understanding of him being as our father is very simply in the parable that Jesus tells about the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 11, or chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. And Jesus tells to kind of relate to people what the kingdom of God is like, what God is like. And I remember one time as I was preaching through that, because it tells us all about a prodigal son who walks away, and it tells us also another son who had an attitude of a prodigal who stayed. And I was preaching all that, and just after I was done, I remember just as I was getting ready to fall asleep at night, there was this thought in my mind. It was not an audible voice, but it was so clear it could have been. And the voice said to me, Dennis, you missed the main point, didn't you? And I thought, well, what then is the main point? And the main point, at least came to me at that moment, was in that parable, you have God the Son telling us in parable form what God the Father is like. God the Son telling you and me so we understand what God the Father is like. And he says there, I want to be, he is the everlasting Father. How do we know him? Well, think what the Son did. If you get there to verse 17 in that, you say that the Son went and he wasted his life and all that he had. And then it says, and he came to himself. And he said, you know what? At my Father's place, it is much better for them. And he says, I will rise up and I will go and I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son, but make me your servant. And then in verse 20, it begins to describe for us the father. And it said, when he saw the son coming, in other words, he was watching and he was looking. And when he saw the son coming and he recognizes him, it says that he runs to the son. And he uses two words. He says he puts his arms around him. He embraces him and he kisses him. Now it doesn't mean that he just says, son, it's all okay. And whatever you did doesn't make any difference. Because at that moment, instead of the son just weeping and saying, oh dad, take me back and sweep it under the rug. He says, no, father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. And to show him that the Father has forgiven, he says, bring out the robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger. In other words, give him the status of being my child. And then in verse 24, the Father says, we will celebrate because this, my son, who was dead, is now alive. Who was lost, is now found. And in that account, it shows us exactly when we are away from God what we need to do. Come to ourselves. Understand what God is offering. Turn. You see, the Bible says if we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to repent? To repent means you're headed one way and you turn 180 degrees and go another. He said, I will go back. And the father, though he loved him and he saw him coming and he ran out to embrace him, he allowed him to say, I have done this. 
gave you. The prophet Isaiah says, this one who is coming, he should be called the everlasting father. May I ask you this question? Have you been introduced to God as the everlasting father? Have we found him as that one who loves us and keeps us? And when we return to him, he runs to embrace us. These descriptions of God are a God filled with emotion and love and desire to be our God. So he's our counselor. He's our almighty God. He's the everlasting father. And then it says he's the prince of peace. Let me just read to you from Galatians, excuse me, Romans chapter 5. Let me read Galatians 4 first. It says there in verse 4, But in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, just what we're talking about this morning, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And then I want to read to you to one verse here from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. It says there very simply, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are adopted as his sons, and we by faith trust that what Jesus has done in coming at Christmas and dying on the cross and rising from the dead gives us that opportunity to experience God as our Father, as our Counselor, as Almighty, but then he gives peace. Now that doesn't mean that we're, life goes on without any difficulties. I remember watching one time, uh, looking and seeing there was a competition to paint a picture that would depict peace. And many artists did a variety of different things from a sunset to a picture of the ocean or a picture of the mountains. But the one which actually won the competition was a picture that was painted of a storm and where the waters were crashing ocean waves onto a rock face and there was a little speck of sunlight coming and it hit the crevice in the rock and only when you came close to the painting and looked could you see that in that crevice, with the light shining upon it, there was a bird which had constructed its nest and had laid its eggs. And the author of the painter, the artist, put his title, Peace. Even when life is doing everything it can, it says he is the prince of peace. And he comes and gives us peace like that. Hope. Now, how does it all work? Well, I do believe that God has given us Christmas because he was introducing himself to us. Certainly in this prophecy, he's introduced himself as the counselor, the one who speaks to our hearts and our minds, the one who shows us what is right and what is wrong, the one who reveals to us his plan, his future for our lives. 
He's also the almighty God who has the power and has a plan for our lives. He's the almighty, he is the everlasting father, the one who loves us and is reaching out for us and wants to adopt us into his family. And he's the one who gives us peace. And how does it work? Jesus in John chapter 14 begins it this way. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. It's very interesting because the last verse, the last verse in chapter 13, the verse before that, he's turned to Peter and he said to Peter, you are going to deny me three times. And then the very next verse he says, but let your hearts not be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he starts to think about that. Uh, He goes on and says, in my father's dwelling place, there are many places to live. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, the reality of eternity is true. And on Christmas, we see this moment where the God of eternity has come into our earth that we might get to know him and understand him even better and experience what it means to be his child. And he says to his disciples, if you have seen me, if you know me, you know the Father. And I am going to this place. And so Thomas says to him in verse 5, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know how to get there? No GPS. But the one in the Bible says, Jesus turned to him and says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And then Philip says, well, do it that way, Lord. Just show us the Father. And his answer is amazing. Philip, have I been with you so long? Have you known me? Have you seen me? And don't you realize, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And at Christmas, God is introducing himself to you and me. Have you met him? Do you know him? Have you experienced God as your father, as your counselor, as the one who lives in you? That's what he's offering, that we are his sons and daughters. For today, for Christmas, for all of eternity. So let's just pray together as we close. Father, thank you again this morning for yourself and for your love to us. We thank you, Lord, that you desired us to come to know you. And that Christmas, in all of its wonder and all of the greatness, the amazing thing is that you came in the person of Jesus Christ. And you, through the prophet Isaiah, said you can call him Wonderful Counselor. And I pray for each one of us here today that we would experience God as that Wonderful Counselor. We would hear the voice of God in our minds, in our hearts. We would experience you teaching us by writing on our hearts that that which are your values, that which you say are right and wrong, that which will help us make decisions to follow you. And Lord, we'd experience you as the everlasting Father. At that moment in life when we turn and say, I need more of you. We would find you coming 
and your love extending itself to us. And Lord, we feeling the sense that God has welcomed us back. And God loves us and has planned for our lives. So Lord, we ask your blessing upon each person who's here. In Jesus' name, amen.